Welcome to the Legislate podcast, a place where we talk about the latest insights in property, business, and contract drafting. Today, I have a wonderful guest, Sam Michael, CEO of Ox Mountain, a company applying machine learning to maintenance processes in capital-intensive industries. Sam, welcome to the show. Before starting Ox Mountain, you had a background in Formula One, so maybe would you like to introduce yourself and then, yeah, introduce Ox Mountain. Yeah, thanks, Charles. It's been it's a pleasure to join the podcast for Legislate. I've, if I jump to your question around Ox Mountain, after just over twenty years of doing Formula One, we looked for uh, I looked with a couple of other people as to what we could do in software and machine learning and how we could apply a lot of knowledge gained from tech in, from tech industries like Formula One, or tech driven industries, I should say, Formula One and aerospace to software. And so we started the Ox Mountain in twenty fifteen. As you said, we operate in the maintenance optimization software space for. We basically focus on the automation of um, processes that are typically manual or not done at all, just due to the size of the data sets that we're dealing with. And uh, our clients mainly tier one mining and freight rail and petroleum companies. And uh, yeah, that's all. That's the company's going really well. So well done, and it's now been six years. What's been your favourite moment so far? Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. It's six and a half years. Uh, we've just gone over approximately Box Mountain. I think it was. Probably the most enjoyable side for me has been just seeing the team grow uh, from just a couple of people <clears throat> up to over 20 people now. I've uh, got locations in Oxford, Perth and Sydney and our software is deployed globally in, in almost every country and that's been really rewarding from a product point of view. It's also really great from a, from a team standpoint just seeing the people grow into the roles. Uh, we've got quite a young team at Ox Mountain and they're really keen sort of software engineers and statisticians and project engineers and it's just rewarding to see them watch the company grow from nothing into into a you know competitive company that's disrupting the maintenance space so i'm almost i, I get a lot of enjoyment out of seeing that them mentoring the people in the team and just seeing them grow yeah. legislate is only a year and a half old and so we haven't been growing as as long but i can definitely relate to seeing team members grow into roles and the enjoyment from that yeah that's right it's good. Well, one other thing I noticed when I started Legislate was things weren't quite as I expected in a good and bad way. But so I'm going to ask you the same question. What would you wish you had known before starting? There's probably, it's it, any other, once you uh, have dealt with Formula One teams and people, you pretty much, you get used to people that don't need any incentive to improve, meaning their incentive is part of their day-to-day -day work work life you end up being very technically focused on solutions and that spoils you a lot because i think you've the improvement programs that you see in almost in lots of other industries involve a, a huge amount of people and a team teamwork and just getting those teams to work properly I, i'm not saying that you don't have challenges like that in formula one but everything's all relative so those type of challenges are, are definitely different i think the the other thing that i know so that's probably the first thing is the just the dynamic outside of f1 because i'd spent my whole not only 21 years in f1 i'd spent my whole life in motor racing so I was very used to doing stuff by tomorrow morning was the sort of time frames, and long term was a couple of months, and that was the first thing. And the second thing is the the data progress with data and sensors and systems in F1 is just really far in front, and I probably I would have underestimated that when I left F1 the maturity, but that gives us an advantage because there's lots of things that we had strong ideas about what you can and can't do with analytics. And that's put, you know, gives us a sort of running start on a lot of other companies. So both of them are, were surprises, but it was more for me to get used to. Yeah, and and so with those surprises, how has your you know, vision for Ox Mountain evolved 
over those six years. Yeah, it evolved from it evolved dramatically on day one because myself and another engineer called Charles Dibstale, who came from, uh, who had aerospace and uh, marine experience with Rolls Royce, so he was very much in the predictive analytics and sensor space, the same as myself from Formula One. So we realised very quickly that the the type of data, uh, transactional data, that big companies use is is far more is has far more depth to it than sensor analytics, especially going back six years ago. That's changing changing very quickly, but still you can have transactional data going back 25, 30 years. So that pretty much pivoted um, our view of what the best way to do maintenance was very quickly in the early days. And then the rest of it's just been continuously disrupting. So trying to just looking at where our competitors are, direct and indirect, and realizing that small companies like Oxmouth, we exist because you disrupt. So if you're not doing that, you're not doing things quickly and more effective there's no real number one if you're going to find a very hard time to uh, sell your product but also your the, your whole reason for being there is that so if you can't do that disruption i can think why do it you you have to have a business model and something that you can just that's what that's what makes it exciting and worthwhile yeah and so you so you mentioned formula one's heavy with sensors and then this new world yeah. of tier one mining companies and with more transactional data. Did the world of Formula One have transactional data or how did you adapt if there wasn't transactional data? Yeah, and it's just to go to the first point, it's not the fact that the, the industries involved around don't have sensor data, they do, they've got plenty of it, but it's not the same, they don't leverage it to the same extent as what a Formula One team does or aircraft, for example. So it's used in quite a different way. By the way, it's, there's a really obvious reason why is the is the expense because for a Formula One team, even though they're well budgeted, they're running two races. A mining company will have easily, could easily have 50 to 100 trucks on one mine, so it's it's a completely different economy of scale. So that's that really changes the the sort of financial equation, if you like. So if you took a if you took a mining company, you could you could run the trucks on a mining company the same way as a Formula One car, but your maintenance bill would go up by 10 times, mm-hmm. and there would be no point because the cost of downtime is, let's say your cost of downtime is say, let's say you accept a 20% failure rate in mining. That's perfectly acceptable. That's complete, that's um, existential for a Formula One team. They have to They have to always be targeting 100% reliability because they their, their cost of failure and downtime is extremely high for that window that they're running in, say in qualifying or a Grand Prix. So that changes the way that you use that data and the way the approach you take. And that's, I guess the objective functions are very different. So yeah, so you've been growing the business, disrupting the industry. I imagine you've created quite a few contracts over those six and a half years. What are the most common contracts that you've been dealing with? I guess from day to day, we deal with a lot of non-disclosure and confidentiality agreements. Imagine for every um, client that we have, there's, there's a lot of potential clients as well that you're uh, talking about your product. Our product is... We're probably, we probably, what we do is, is reasonably, you know, we're not, we're happy to talk about that, but we don't go into how we do it with everyone. And sometimes you have to go to a bit more depth with new clients. So yeah, those confidentiality agreements, uh, employment contracts, obviously for our staff. So we deal with that all the time. And then of course, our client contracts for engagement. So when we're actually selling our software and product. So those are the three sort of areas that I'd say. Uh, we spend the most amount of time on from a contractual. And with those contracts, especially NDAs. Are there any common objections or areas of negotiation which come up? Occasionally, you'll occasionally in a NDA you will get a NDAs don't tend to be too bad. They as long as you have a standardised form. Obviously, you've got almost all of the NDAs we we get involved with are mutual, so they go both ways because it's very difficult to have a conversation without trading 
exchanging information both sides. I think in terms of, I mean, IP and IP is always front and center for us, but always has been from the start. So that's always a, a strong thing that we look for in, in basically every contract that we do. It's centered around IP for the company so to protect Ox Mountain. And all of the sort of IP that we've, intellectual property that we've generated, our team's generated, that's probably the major focus point. I think NDAs and confidentiality agreements generally pretty straightforward with the, the, the ones that we use. And are those provided by the client normally or, or do you take the initiative? We normally, so we typically always take the initiative. So we, we use Legislate for that, obviously. We will push that through to the, the client. Sometime in the early days, it tended to be that the client's would prefer to use their own NDAs or confidentiality agreement. We've seen a big change in the, probably the last couple of years. Interestingly, since we started working with legislators, I don't know if that's a, a coincidence or not, but the, I think that they went from, the typical client would go from thinking it was easier to get through their own processes. And for some reason, they've moved away from that. Maybe it's also the fact that we've been around for six and a half years as well. So they trust us and, and, mm-hmm. and can see us doing things quickly. So I don't think I've signed a non- let's say Ox Mountain Stroke Legislate NDA for probably almost a year and a half now uh, since it was not on that system. And yeah, and, which is good because it's easy yeah. for us. And, and do you think that it could also be explained by these large organizations realizing that maybe their contracts are very complicated to process for small businesses? I think that's what it is because in their init- that was actually the origin, the reason originally for using their own. Mm-hmm. Because they'd say, if you try and introduce a new one, it's got to go through all of our legal procedures. Now, I think the speed with which we can produce, because we're a small company as well, and there's just a couple of people that need sign-off, and we can do it very quickly, I think that's inverted. And it's and also, they get, they almost everyone checks everything with it for their main points anyway. That I guess on an NDA, you're looking for things like term, what's the the difference between IP and a background IP, foreground IP, and what, what does it say about that? making sure that it's true, truly bi-directional and mutual. Yeah, and I guess the the commercial agreements, though, are, is the, the client's paper or still? or Ah, oh, you mean for a client contract yeah, for engagement? Yeah. Both, seeing both. both on that front as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're, I, I'd probably say that they do still tend more to the client, but not necessarily. Again, it's changing. It's changing pretty quickly, actually. The last the last couple of contracts have, have come from ourselves, not from the actual major. And they're, they're major tier one players. But again, I think it's probably, yeah, it probably just sits in the fact that we we know what we're doing, I guess. So we're talking the yeah. right language and it's the, the contracts protect the client as well. So it's as long as they can see that the contract's fair, then I think you, you pretty much move on. That's great. And, and as a result, have you yeah. seen the you know, time for procurement to process you reduce or is it... Is that another bottleneck in the process? No, I think from a decision point, so we, if you break it off into two stages, we've got our initial uh, engagement. We first reach out to then them saying, yes, we're going to do this and, and do a contract with Ox Mountain. That's really variable, but that can be really quick uh, and re- or really drawn out. So we have a huge sort of range between those things and the quickest contracts we've done, which is super through to the longest one, which can take many months. But I'd say the bit from that point to then contract is, that's a lot faster now uh, than the early days. We used to spend an excruciating amount of time on that. And a lot of it was really just things that, I don't know, 90% of effort for for sort of 10% of gain for just worrying about little things. So so I think that's improved a lot. Yeah, that's great. So um, conscious of your time, we've got a closing question that we ask all our guests. 
So if you were being sent a contract to sign today, what would impress you? If I was being sent a contract now, I'd say I've got a, I've already given away, but I've got a strong bias towards IP. So I pretty much, whenever I read a, a new contract, I go straight to the IP clauses uh, to see what someone is ask, asking for. If I was, but I, but I guess it's the simplicity. The I've seen the same worded contracts take 15 pages or 50 pages, and that simplicity is 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 the thing that makes a contract easy to to absorb and and agree on. I think there's especially when you get into sort of data protection acts, data security and cybersecurity clauses and appendices, the contracts can really grow, and it's and it's. I think most of those contracts are really hard to maintain for big companies, and actually, they—they they, what I know why that that happens because you have layer upon layer that adds adds these things. So yeah, I guess probably two. I'll answer your question. Two things, nice and simple. But what what does it say about IP? Yeah, I think simplicity is definitely one of the the most common answers um, we receive, and one thing that we're trying to do at Legislate also because, as you said, complexity makes it hard to maintain for the client, but also difficult to actually follow for the parties. And, and I think a, That's lot of, right. a, a lot of a lot of our users, for example, landlords, letting agents and tenants, and if, if tenants are in breach of contract, it's often because the contract was too complicated in the first place for them to yeah. understand everything. Yeah, that's a good point, Charles. And I think when, when you see that complexity, you think the chance of a mistake, there's two things that you, I think, chance of a mistake goes up yeah. and I need to have more ex- I'm not a I'm not a lawyer, but I regularly have contractual discussions because you end up in that straight that situation straight away if you're in business development sales. And we've been very fortunate at Ox Mountain that we've got good people working inside the company that have legal experience. But I'd say 90% of a lot of that is they have to check. Sorry, once you go to that really complicated contracts, you then have to think about getting legally involved. If it's simple, then you just don't need that. Yeah. And the reason why you've got to get, you've got to get legally involved is because you think this is complex. I can't make a mistake here. I might miss something that's going to come up in two or three years time. And, and the classic mistake as well is to think that the person you're doing the contract with could still be there in, when you have an issue. Because yeah. Especially in big companies, the people move around and change positions or, or even leave the company. So you've got to look at that contract literally plainly as you see it on the paper because you could be talking to someone completely different who you didn't sign the contract with originally. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you, Sam, for being on the legislature. Hopefully we can have you again later. And, yeah, thank you for your time. No problem at all, Charles. Really enjoyed it. And thanks very much for your time as well. And good luck with Legislate. Hope it keeps going on the same curve it is at the moment. Thank you. Hopefully we'll uh, catch up with Ox Mountain in terms of success. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Thanks very much, Charles. Thank you. See you later. Bye.